0: Hello, and welcome to Episode 2.11, the Midwinter Edition of Notes from the Isle Seat, the podcast that covers the arts in Northern Chautauqua County, sponsored by the 1891 Fredonia Opera House. My name is Tom Laughlin, and I'm your host as we bring you news and information about arts events at the Opera House and around the region, including interviews with artists and creators across the county. I've been amazed at how I've managed to stay in good health throughout the pandemic. But alas, my luck has run out. While I've not yet had COVID, another issue cropped up over the weekend before this podcast came out and it threw my production timeline askew. I had all the interviews complete, but lost three days to the illness and had to frantically pull this episode together to meet the deadline. So forgive me if it does not seem as polished and complete as usual. I'm sure the podcast and I will be back to our usual selves, for better or worse with the next episode. The first interview is with Dr. James Ivey, Professor Emeritus of Theatre from SUNY Fredonia, who talks with me about the next stage on-screen performance from the National Theatre in London of Anton Chekhov's The Seagull. Joining me once again to talk about the uh, upcoming National Theater's production of Anton Chekhov's The Seagull is Dr. James Ivey. Uh, Jim is a professor emeritus of theater and dance at SUNY Fredonia. He joins us once again from his study in uh, Santa Fe, New Mexico. Jim, welcome back to the podcast. Good to have you again.
1: It's great to be here. I'm happy to be a part of the podcast and to be in support of the 1891 Fredonia Opera House that was a very uh, integral part of my life and for 19 years living in Fredonia, New York. um, I uh, am grateful for that institution being a part of the culture in uh, Western New York.
0: Great, thank you. We 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 appreciate that. We will and we'll hope to be able to to live up to that high praise. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, all right. So we have uh, the National Theatre uh, in London once again, um, uh, uh, bringing us a series, and this time they're doing Anton Chekhov's uh, The Seagull. Uh, that is a play that really put Konstantin Stanislavsky, uh, Nabirovich Danchenko and Chekhov as the triad that really brought the Moscow art theater onto the map and essentially established the acting style we had come to know as realism. So why don't you give us a little bit of a, a, a background on the play, uh, uh Chekhov, um, perhaps, uh, something about the, the Moscow art theater and its significance and we'll go from there.
1: Great. Well, um the Moscow Art Theater um in its legendary um inception um was a um an organization that was searching for I think the right play for that for their company. Um they had uh performed three plays prior to The Seagull that were moderate successes but had not truly given them a um a place in the cultural Um, realm in Moscow uh, until they reached, until they performed this play, The Seagull. Um, But they didn't perform the first production of The Seagull. Um, It had been uh, performed in St. Petersburg in 1896. It was a hastily prepared production. Um, It was about 10 days of rehearsal, which was the standard practice at that time. And it was a disaster. The actors were ill-equipped to play these very complex characters that Chekhov was writing. It was a style that those character, those actors were unfamiliar with. Really, um, the uh, so it was a failure. Um, Chekhov vowed that he would didn't want it performed again. The story goes is that Stanislavski and Nemirovich-Danchenko, the essentially the impresario or the producer of the MAT. Um, convinced Chekhov that they would take care of it with his play. And they went into rehearsals and invited Chekhov to observe some of those early rehearsals. He saw the careful attention that Stanislavski paid to the subtleties of uh, the characters, the subtleties in their relationships. And he did allow the production to continue. Uh, Chekhov allowed the production to continue. And it was um, a an overnight success in 1898 when they performed it, um, and in, a, in uh, the seagull became a symbol for the Moscow Art Theatre, and it was embroidered on their curtains and was a part of their um, their uh, symbol of their theater for uh, decades after that. Um, so Stanislav was concerned with the total emotional truth of the characters. Uh, There is a a production book, and I did read it uh, when I directed The Seagull at my uh, previous uh, institution at Hardin-Simmons University in Abilene. Um, I directed The Seagull and I wanted to know what was it that Chekhov, or what was it that Stanislavski was uh, trying to um, um, bring out of Chekhov's play? And the production book of The Seagull is, is, exists in the British Library, and it goes down to the very mi- most minute of details in terms of, uh, of action and physical action and emotional content of characters, um, The some of the properties that would be used and some of his um, mise-en-scene as he was trying to bring about this first production of the the play, Um, he was really uh, looking for his actors to completely immerse themselves in the life of the character, in the character's feelings. Um, And so Chekhov in writing his plays um, has a very um, unique style. Often the characters do not say what they're feeling. But we're, we are left with, and it's the challenge of a director and an actor working together, actors working together to bring out the subtext of the, the, the dialogue. What is underneath the dialogue?
2: Mm-hmm. While
1: they may not be saying exactly what they're thinking or feeling, there is an undercurrent of, uh, of intent that the director and actor must find and that is the gr- one of the greatest challenges to this all of chekhov's plays um, now let me ask you i i the, the i'm not going to ask you to
0: do a plot summary because that would take up the rest of the interview but but it's a it's a very very complex plot with about three love triangles but but uh to put it uh succinctly I think we can talk about the plot as being, you know, there are uh, characters of an older generation, there's characters of younger generation, and they come into conflict both in terms of their lifestyles as well as their thinking about art, the old way of doing art, as opposed to the new way of doing
1: art. Am I correct about that? Absolutely. It's a it's a a play about the theater, essentially. And mm. in the first act, we see that... Uh, Um, dichotomy or paradox of of the old and the new, which is exactly what Chekhov's world was going through and all Russia in general at this time. Um, We see the conflict between the youth and maturity um, with Chekhov's characters of uh, Madame Arkadina, who is a very successful regional actress. Um, She is supported in her... Um, by her younger lover Tregorin, um, who is a famous but middling playwright and author, uh, short story writer. Then there's Constantine, who is Arkadina's son, um, Treplev. Constantine Treplev, who is her son by her of uh, uh, her previous marriage, and uh, he is an aspiring playwright. He wants to dispense with the old methods. And so we see Treplev, or Constantine, and his young uh, love interest, Nina, uh, an aspiring actress, present a very symbolistic um, play in Act One that is rejected by the old guard. Um, And so uh, just a kind of footnote again, so we see that that embracing of realism and approach to realism, also another paradigm shift and a shift in style of the exacting realism of Stanislavski in conjunction with uh, Chekhov's play. So this was a new sensation on the stage that um, was really a a wholly different uh, approach to the theater.
0: Now, one of the most interesting things that you've mentioned uh, so far uh, uh, is the exacting nature of what Stanislavski and Chekhov are looking in terms of the the, the sort of the recreation of the mise-en-scene for the show. The National, in its production of the seagull, from what you and I have been able to glean from the videos, the trailers that exist, again, neither of us have seen this, but it seems the National is going like 180 degrees in the other direction. Um... Can you just give us a little insight into what you've seen and what you think it means and what they're trying to do there?
1: Yes, I'll I'll do my best, even though I have to uh, post the disclaimer that I have not seen the production of it, but have read uh, a number of reviews and um, how the Jamie Lloyd and the Jamie Lloyd Company um, has produced this Anya Rice's adaptation of Chekhov's play. They've taken a decidedly postmodern if not spare and stripped down approach to the play. Um, You will not see the attention to realistic detail that we've just been speaking about. The setting for this production is a wood chipped wall that surrounds the playing area, a stark fluorescent lighting Um, and a very muted color palette for the costumes that do not embrace the period in which the play was written uh, at all. Um, They sit in plastic uh, office chairs that we might see in any kind of uh, office setting today. The actors are barefoot um, and there are no properties used at all um, and all of the actors are uh, miked so that they may be sitting six feet from the other actor, and they can whisper into their microphone, and we will hear the sound out in the theater. Mm. Now, I, I want to say something about that. While the this production approach is uh, somewhat radical um, compared to the what happened in um, Moscow in 1898, those microphones. I think would enhance the uh, subtleties of the subtextual material that we've been speaking about and assist the actors in uh, that effort to uh, bring out the internal uh, qualities and the internal um, uh, subtleties of that subtext. I think that that approach is going to be very uh, interesting for the audience to see um, and, uh, Lloyd is, has been known for his stripped down approaches to these plays as also, he had a very acclaimed production of Cyrano de Bergerac that was equally as, um, um, uh, radical in its approach. Um, it was highly, um, respected and very well received in England, uh, by audiences. Um, so I hope that, uh, it um, is it reaches the audiences uh, even though what we're going to see is quite different.
0: That's quite different, you know. I, I when I when I saw the, the, one of the clips, my my feeling was that the approach, the, the conceptual approach uh, from the director was really to just get at the the absolute very truth and core of the words in the play, um, and and what they what they mean, how they communicate one to the other. Um, and, and that was, uh, that was to me the most uh, striking thing that I noticed in watching, um, you know, this particular, this particular section of, and so in order to facilitate that everything else has been taken away and all we're left with is the actors, their words and their connection to the words and whoever it is that
1: they're talking to. Is that, do you get the sense that that's what's going on? Absolutely, and um, in reviews that I've read, um, even physical action is kept to a minimum. So while it the dialogue might suggest uh, a need for the actor to stand up and move across the stage, some of that uh, uh, those impulses I think are intentionally um, uh, suppressed by the director, not to be taken so that the uh focus on the word and the spoken word um and the subtextual intent is um is very clearly focused um there's a uh, a young actress in this play that is um uh making her stage debut um Emily uh, Amelia, Amelia Clark Amelia Clark who is of Game of Thrones uh fame so she's making her stage debut um at the in this play. Um, she was very well received, um, by all accounts. Um, and it was, uh, the part of Nina is a role that actresses have coveted through the centuries or through the century and 127 years of, uh, this in the history of this play. Um, and so she's, um, been received good notices for this. I love Chekhov. Um, I've, I've, had connections with all four of the major plays. And I've done a lot of um, uh, class projects um, with Chekhov as well. And he presents a uh, a challenge to any director, uh, regardless of whether you're doing a realistic approach or something uh, that is the exact opposite. Um, wow. But I'm sure the audiences are in for a, an interesting time in the theater. Jim.
0: Thank you yeah. so much once again for, for being on the podcast and, uh, g- giving us a little more uh, clarity and light into this particular production. It's, it's always very enjoyable to talk to you about theater. And, uh, again, we've got some more shows, uh, coming up from the national. So I'm pretty sure I'm going to tap into your brain once again, come to the near future.
1: Well, thanks, Tom. It's, it's good to see you and talk with you and, uh, um, give the support to all my Western New York friends there as you, uh, uh, deal with yet another Western New York winter. Um, <laughs> my heart goes out to you, even though we've got a little two inches on the ground here in Santa Fe.
0: <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, you know, that
1: just makes me more more and more anxious to get out there and visit you. <laughs> <laughs> Come out and uh, on your way to Arizona to see some um, uh, Grapefruit League baseball, uh, stop by. Can't be better. That can't be better.
0: Can't be better than that. Thanks a lot, Jim. We'll talk to you soon. Okay, bye-bye now. Bye-bye. The Seagull will be screened on Saturday, February 11th at 1 p.m. Tickets are $15 for adults and $10 for students. Tickets can be purchased at www.fredapara.org online or by calling the box office at 716-679-1891. The Stage on Screen series is sponsored by Dr. James and Marsha Merrins. The Western New York Chamber Orchestra, or Winnieco, will be performing an unusual concert on February 19th at 4 p.m. in the King Concert Hall. It's a collaboration with progressive musicians online and others, and features guest soloists from around the world. I spoke with Mr. James Welch of Progressive Musicians, as well as Ms. Lisa Lehman, Executive Director of Winnieco, to discover how this collaboration came about. I'm pleased to be able to bring on to the podcast now to talk about the upcoming Western New York Chamber Orchestra concert, which will be taking place on Sunday, February 19th at 4 o'clock p.m. in the King Concert Hall at Rockefeller Arts Center. Uh, uh, Two artists who are responsible for organizing this concert. Uh, The first is uh, Lisa Lehman. She is on the voice faculty at SUNY Fredonia, and she is also the executive director of the the Western New York Chamber Orchestra, which we will uh, from here on in call Winnieco. Hello, Lisa.
2: Hello, thanks for having me.
0: You're welcome. And the other person that I have on the line is uh, Mr. James Welch. James is uh, the founder, I think, of the Progressive Musicians uh, up in uh, Buffalo. And it has a website and does some interesting things. And James has also been a piano teacher at SUNY Fredonia and uh, uh, also
3: an alum. So, welcome, Jim. Thank you for having me.
0: You bet. So let me start with you, Lisa, because um, uh, WinnieCo has uh, you know been around for a while and it's done a lot of traditional things and uh, you know their concerts are usually uh, uh, very good. I know I participated in a couple of them myself, and they're always looking for some kind of angle. But this one is unique uh, because it only came about uh, about a month ago. Uh, so tell us how this collaboration between you and Jim sort of uh, got started.
2: Uh, well, we'd have to go back a few years because Jim was one of my voice studio's major collaborative pianists with my students. And that's how we met ultimately. And of course, he has played numerous concerts with Winneko over the years. Um, so, and we're just goofy buddies and friends. We have a good laugh together and we love to make some music together. together. And we've done concerts together, that's very true. Jim Welsh and friends, our recitals here that we used to do at Fredonia. Um, So during, I would say, uh, COVID probably is when Jim can speak to when progressive musicians really got started, but during COVID when we were all sort of forced into this new technological challenge of how do we teach, how do we make music, how do we grasp what could be much more um, relevant uh, to how we can manage a school of music um, through technology. Um, Jim just jumped right in with both feet. He and Joanna Moffat, who is also an alumni, she's with um, Cole Orchestra. They started just doing live performances on the air, just amazing, like just hooking up the technology. Um, so Winniko got involved when Jim said, you know, we're doing these competitions, international competitions online with live performances. Um, in fact, I was uh, an adjudicator for a couple of those events um, all online. <laughs> um, kind of fascinating. And. Um, the idea came up with from them that they would hire the orchestra to basically give an opportunity to the winners of the concerto competition to play the actual concerto with a live orchestra rather than, um, piano accompaniment or whatever, or solo, oh. just, you know, um, and it just kind of bloomed from there. The reason why we say it was basically about a month ago when it was sort of finalized, it's been in the creative process for a while, about um, a about a year, but getting the, the concerto winners judged and decided upon and all of that. um, And given the, um, the complexity of so many different countries being represented and and different age groups being represented and technologies being represented. um, I would say that (laughs) it's kind of surprising that we got this far this fast. It's much more their work than ours. Our work is coming. So, but, um, I'm sure jim can speak to some of those challenges way more so than i because there's more than two groups involved here
0: ah well so. let me let me then turn to jim and um uh Jim let, let's talk to you about a little bit about how you started this progressive musicians and how it's grown from there and then what this particular growth has meant to your collaboration with uh, Winnico
3: sure um so it, actually um it, it's it's a somewhat funny story but um i got together with some friends, musician friends, and we were looking at competitions for our students and just adding up all the numbers of traveling and talking about how, you know, it's like we've traveled the world and it's like, you know, even when we've won small prizes, it's like, you know, I mean, at the end of the day we still spent five thousand dollars traveling across the world you know and then if we didn't win you know we paid five thousand dollars to play for maybe five minutes and we're just like you know and you know not to knock that i mean that that that's that's the experience that's the world you know everyone should be um experiencing that if they're interested in being professional performers um but it's just so expensive and it's so (laughs) exhausting and we thought, what, what if we could do something like this online and still have judges and give them opportunities for growth and improvement, and then have a winner's event or a celebration ceremony somewhere in person for selected musicians. Then only those people have to pay all that money to travel and they're being featured. And Uh so we put that together in the summer of 2019 is when we started doing that and we we got all the contracts in place we got the website running we did so much research and it, it, it was crazy and right around um end of february of 2020 we were like yes let's launch this website let's do this and we launched it and it, like maybe two or three weeks later everything's <laughs> shutting down right and right. It, th- there was that one moment <laughs> where um my business partner at the time said what are we gonna do we we just invested all this money and all this time and you know now everything's shut down I was like we're not gonna do anything right now we don't have to do anything different we're online mm-hmm. and and it was it was a bit of a happy accident in that way I mean I don't want to say COVID was happy but I mean right. I, I mean it we we would have never predicted that and that it did help us and we were able to do all the auditions and go through the whole motions of it and the only um setback was that we had to delay the winner's recital. It was supposed to be at the end of 2020, and we actually sure. didn't get to it till February of 2022 but we did take twenty five musicians to uh, Carnegie Hall in February Whoa. of 2022 and we had a grand recital, and it was a wonderful time and so and we went from there and um with this we have uh many different companies involved we have um core productions out of chicago as a chicago-based opera company uh brilliant talent discovery awards is just based out of uh singapore uh my company progressive musicians um virtual concert halls and stemming from virtual concert halls is also the Sound Espressivo competition. So it is essentially five different groups uh, in addition to Winiko um, that are making this thing happen. A clarinetist from Israel, 14 years old, I believe, and playing uh, part of the Weber F minor concerto and is just outstanding. Mm-hmm. And then only at Ferdonia, we have two pianists, uh, one from China who's going to be playing the first movement of the Mozart D minor. And then another young professional from the U S here who is going to be playing the second movement of the Chopin E minor. Uh, Joining them, we have a cellist from Israel, 16 years old playing the Sansa's cello concerto. Uh, We have a violinist from Jersey and he will be playing the first movement of the Mendelssohn E minor. And we have a professional guitarist playing the Vivaldi D major concerto. And it's just going to be a glorious program.
0: Now, are the, how are the logistics for you, Lisa, as the executive director? I mean, putting all of this together with uh, with uh, Maestro Cortese and getting rehearsal time and all of that kind of stuff. How is that is well, that, has that made it more complicated than usual for
2: you? Yes, it has. It has in that. Um, you know, given that we're so used to sort of being in our own bubble here, right? We, we, know, we know who to call, when to call get, to get it all set up. You know, we're part of the university um, in terms, of, I think a lot of people don't really know that uh, Winneko is the orchestra, the professional orchestra in residence here mm-hmm. and has been for many, many, many years. Um, so we're built into the programming for the School of Music. Um, we're usually the last ones that get scheduled, but that's okay. We figured out how to, how to make it work. Um, and we also are trying as an organization to broaden our, our, our reach. Um, we all know if we are a part of this Verdun community, how extraordinary the opportunities are for going out to the school of music and hearing something just either at the Rockefeller or in the theater department or the dance department or school of music it just it never ends i think school of music does over 350 performances a year Mm -hmm. including recitals
3: Mm -hmm.
2: it's i mean wow yeah it's insane (laughs) yeah it's a lot of it's a lot of moving parts um i think the the most complicated thing on our end is really um juggling the musicians and getting them contracted properly for each gig Um, Luckily, I have a contractor who does all that good work for me. (laughs) Um, But, you know, I would say that the the real challenge, as is always the case, is getting bottoms in seats Mm -hmm. at Fredonia when it comes to these things. um, And this is an opportunity to, first of all, let the orchestra spread its wings a bit. And also a chance for our School of Music students and the community at large to see the extraordinary talent that is out in the world that is willing to travel, honestly, to us to be a part of. Our students could certainly participate in these competitions as well. Um, there's no age limit. Jim, did you talk about that for this concert? The the ages are extraordinary. I mean, well, um, I actually was going was no to age ask. Limit.
0: I was going to ask Jim about that because I noticed on the website there they they range from you know, age seven, I, I watched an audition from a young pianist that was like seven years old up until, yeah. you know, people who look apparently to be in at least their 60s or so.
2: Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, of course, there's, um, there's all good messaging there, right? Um, a student that might be really struggling with their identity, just because they're not doing well in theory or piano or something, right? Um, can come and see, you know, the, a a very young person from another country who's dug deep and found that discipline and found that, that way to express themselves. Maybe it won't be for piano for this student. Maybe it's a voice student who's struggling with piano, but all of those opportunities for our students to step away from their screens and hear extremely beautiful, powerful classical music live there. You cannot, I don't care how great your bows are, stereo system is it's not the same thing
0: for you Jim I imagine that this this has been in a to a certain extent a sort of a new frontier for you in terms of your career it's a direction that you seem to be going uh uh, uh full throttle with uh as a supplement <laughs> to your usual gigs playing piano all over the all over the region
3: yes it, it, it's been quite a career shift mostly in the just in the last like six months um, But, you know, it's uh, one of the goals that we had set forth that I really stand by is to make opportunities available for all musicians, uh, mainly young, but um, young aspiring, but all all musicians, professionals, adult amateurs, you know, if they want to have an opportunity to audition and Mm -hmm. learn something and make improvements, we're the place that wants to help make that happen we're also the place that wants to reward uh those who have worked very hard and have hit milestones um we including teachers too teachers never get enough recognition and we we do everything that we can to to emphasize how much investment goes in from the studio teachers
0: i'm I'm very fascinated by the whole concept because i I really enjoy watching the technology be able to bring both to the young artists the opportunity to be able to be seen and exposed as well as the opportunity for more audiences to be exposed to them, have more opportunity in that way and 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 also just you know, extend the reach. Uh, worldwide when we're talking about, you know, young performers mm-hmm. from, from Israel and China uh, coming to Fredonia to play out of all this. I, I think this collaboration is, is amazing. You two, it's just amazing.
2: Mm-hmm. I think it's going to become, I hope it's going to become, you know, maybe, maybe it won't be able to be an annual thing for a bit, maybe, who knows, but it's the kind of, um, it's an investment in our, in our humanity, honestly. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And it's time. And it's time to, you know, really get back to the thing we know everyone reaches for when they're needing some lift and some support. And it's always music and it's always going to be music and the arts because it takes us outside of our misery for a little bit or our worry for a little bit. And um, this is where I love the technology. The world could take a breath for an hour and a half or two hours and just be present with something extraordinary.
0: Yeah. That's yeah. I, I mean, I I couldn't have said it better myself. And and uh, I want to uh, express my appreciation to both of you for the time and effort you're putting into this extraordinary collaboration. It really it really sounds like uh, something that's going to be uh, uh, quite special on uh, the 19th. So thank you both for for joining me you and letting probably. me know uh, what what you've been doing, uh, Jim, out there in Buffalo. Thank you very much. You, thank you So
3: much for doing this, Tom.
0: Yeah, it, and it, Lisa, thank you for your time. Here.
3: Of course,
0: happy to. Thank you so much, Tom. Okay, thanks. The Western New York Chamber Orchestra International Artist Concerto Concert will be performed on Saturday, February 19th at 4 p.m. in the King Concert Hall. Tickets are $20 general admission and can be purchased online at www.fredonia.edu backslash tickets or by calling the campus box office at 716-673-3501. This concert is also being performed in Buffalo on Friday, February 17th at 7.30 p.m. at the Westminster Presbyterian Church in Buffalo with a slightly different cast of soloists. Tickets for the Buffalo performance can be obtained by going to progressivemusicians.com and following the links for ticket purchases. Here is the arts calendar for the period of February 9th through 24th, 2023. The Lakeshore Center for the Arts will present the A.R. Gurney play, Love Letters, on February 10th through 12th, and also on Tuesday, February 14th. The performance on February 10th and 14th will be evening performances beginning at 7 p.m while the weekend performances on February 11th and 12th will be matinees, beginning at 2 p.m. Tickets are $20 for all performances and can be purchased online at lakeshorecenterforthearts.org. You can listen to the January 25th edition of the podcast for an interview with director Rick Mascaro for more information. On Friday, February 24th, the musical trio of Aaron Lip. Chris Hollywood English and Rick Robertson, all from the Rochester area, will bring their unique fusion sound of traditional bluegrass, Appalachian old-time music, and blues to the Opera House stage for a live concert. Tickets for this trio of young, innovative musicians range between $5 and $13 and are available online at www.fredopera.org or at the box office, 716-679-1891. The SUNY Fredonia School of Music, as always, has a whole host of events taking place. Notable among them are the Fredonia Choral Festival from February 11th through 12th, featuring a guest lecture by Dr. Karen Daly from Duquesne University in Pittsburgh on February 10th, and a concert with the three college choral ensembles and the Fredonia High School Chorus on February 12th, a masterclass by Fredonia grad Kyle Schoonhoven, tenor, on February 10th, a concert by Gaudete Brass, sponsored by Ethos Music on February 12th, a concert by Factory Seconds Brass Tour on February 19th, and a concert with the Fredonia Wind Orchestra and Symphonic Winds on Wednesday, February 22nd. For detailed information on all these music events, go to events.fredonia.edu music. Finally, the Visual Arts and New Media Faculty Arts Exhibit continues in the Marion Art Gallery until February 17th. Check out the January 11th edition of this podcast for more information on this exhibit. If you have a coming arts event and would like to get it mentioned on the arts calendar, please send an email to operahouse at fredopera.org or call the box office at 716-679-1891 with your information. Last but not least, the cinema series continues with two movies, A Man Called Otto featuring Tom Hanks and The Whale featuring Oscar-nominated Brendan Fraser as Charlie. Our resident movie expert, Mr. Paul Preston from The Movie Guys, joins me once again to preview these two offerings. All right, everybody, it's movie time, and you know what that means. We have Paul Preston from The Movie Guys here to talk about a couple of movies coming on the cinema series scene. As always, welcome, Paul. It's the
4: most wonderful time of the year, Tom. Award season. (laughs) Award season. Yes, indeed. A blessing and a curse, really, because Hollywood is so skittish about making sure that the uh, award voters have you know, this short attention span that they put all the movies out at the end of the year. (laughs) And so it's really an awards movie dump. They're all great. And like the best movies of the year are finally coming out. But you got like a month and a half to see 40 movies. So you know what they're talking about when they hand out the Academy Awards. But that being said, There's like 40 great movies. At least one's worth giving your time to out there uh, now. But spread it out, guys. Spread it out a little bit. Before (laughs) we were recording, we were talking about everything, everywhere, all at once. At least that came back, came out back in uh, March, I think, last year. Testament to uh how good that movie is. We're still talking about it. So sometimes your movie's that good. Top Gun: Maverick, even where we're talking about it late in the year. But uh, today we're talking about a couple of late 2022 uh, films that are just getting out to the to Fredonia. And uh, let's take them
0: in order that they're coming because on the uh, we're going to start off with um, a man called Otto. It's a Tom Hanks vehicle. It's going to be playing um, at the Opera House on February 11th and uh, 14th. And uh, so let's talk about that one. I mean, I called it a Tom Hanks vehicle, but lately Tom Hanks seems to be picking all these all these movies that, you know, uh, um, prominently, you know, he's he's prominently featured in. And uh, there
4: there's interesting vehicles for him. Yes. I I say if Tom Hanks is making a movie and you're sharing the earth with him, same with Meryl Streep, you should go see what he's doing. <laughs> I still haven't seen Pinocchio. I hear it's terrible. But the reviews were so terrible, even my that shied me away from my theory that you should see everything <laughs> he's doing. Then again, I bet he's great. Anyway, uh-huh. uh, this one, he's right up front and center. So, yes, you should go and see it. And I appreciate this podcast, Tom, because it often gives me the nudge to see some films I wasn't going to see or hadn't yet. And I hadn't yet seen uh, a man called Otto until you were like, come on, come on the show. So I went out and I checked it out. Um it, What's that? uh, The Phantom of the Open we talked about a a few podcasts. The Phantom of the Open. Yes, we did. Mark Rylance. I had never even heard of that. There was one where you nudged me. I'm like, this movie is awesome. And I hope that if you didn't go to the Opera House, you still seek it out. Like, I don't think anybody in the States saw it. Uh, Really, it's a British film, but uh, about a guy who stinks at golf and ends up go into the British open and continues to stink. And it's just a great story. (laughs) But um, as far as a man called Otto goes, bigger movie, bigger star. So I saw the trailer a million times and it looked a little rudimentary. You know, an old white guy lives in a private road and has his angry routine, taking the recyclables and putting them where they go, where people screwed up, where they put them, you know, and he's checking the parking passes on the restricted parking street and making sure they're all in place or he'll raise a fuss. Um, And eventually this Latino couple moves across the street and if Tom, if you think this plucky younger couple is going to bring a smile to the angry guy's face, that, that how did you guess that? <laughs> <So>. <laughs> it, intuition, Paul, intuition. <laughs> but good news, there's uh, there's much more going on here, and it looks like uh, from the trailer, Otto's going to go from one comedic moment to another, being adorably grumpy. But what they don't tell you in the trailer, and it's a, it's not a spoiler because you know they they. Uh, it's it's worth it happens early in the film that they announce what he's going to do Uh, his wife he lost his wife to cancer and uh they they want they kind of show in the trailer goofy culture clash antics but otto wants to kill himself Mm. and this uh, you know and but he'll be damned if one of the nuts in the neighborhood the lady walking in a little yip dog or the person who parks their bike in the wrong place you know happens to be trans you name it they keep interrupting his plans so um this is different uh in in this in how it plays out and it grounds the whole film in more reality than the trailer would let on so first i wanted to make that so if you've seen the trailer and you're like yeah it looks pleasant there's more going on and that's to the film's benefit and it's a risky move making tom hanks grumpy you know uh, removing all the charm we, you know, we love from tom hanks does it work here well you have to remember tom hanks can play anything <laughs> so he's great in this you know. Just don't forget that little nugget okay um also worth bringing up though mariana trevino who I've never heard of plays marisol the the wife of the couple that moves in across the street from him mm-hmm. she's a joy and does a lot of great reacting to hanks's monologues which is uh, can be hard to do if you feel like you're not doing much but she's really really good mm-hmm. and there are flashback scenes about how otto met his wife and his real life son truman is good in those scenes playing young Otto. So you buy the casting at least, right? Right. And uh, there's a girl named Rachel Keller who plays his wife, Sonia. And I don't know if you ever saw The Notebook, but it's you know one of those sappy romances, but Rachel McAdams is in it. And if you don't fall in love with Rachel McAdams in that movie, you have no soul. <laughs> and I think Rachel Keller is very on the same lines in this film. If You watch Otto fall in love with her and you're like, I get it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's fun too, and I'd have never heard of her before. Uh, she's a real find. And you read the book this is based
0: on, right? I did. I read the book. The book is the movie is based on the book uh, by uh, a Swedish author by the name of um, uh, Fred Frederick Bachman, and it's originally called A Man Called Uve. And they also made a Swedish version of that yeah. novel as well, called A Man Called Uve. So this is the actually the second film adaptation of that novel is a very popular novel as a matter of fact it hit the new york times bestseller list it was you know on everybody's read
4: list back in the day well i get it it's a genuinely likable story you know you can't Knock sitting there going, I'm invested in this. The characters are fun. You know, throw in Hanks. And this, this is I mean, it's corny here and there. But uh, like I said, deeper than the trailer lets on. Some of the music is a little, you
2: know, it's
4: like pleasant. And it's like, okay, yes. we'll, you know, I can lo- get into this mood without that. But um, but it's Hanks. And again, you should see uh, everything he's doing. And if you're worried, oh, is the book better? Yes. Even as a movie <laughs> guy, I will tell you the book is always better. If you read a book <laughs> in two hours, you wouldn't enjoy it. So, uh-huh. Correct. Like, so that's, I just give that concede. I give that concession over to, to book. That, that's also Tom. Well, I can't read any books. Come on. I can't have the movie be bad. <laughs> no, that's so, true. That's uh, <laughs> true. So this that's is true. definitely a checkout. Uh, it's easy to like, very enjoyable. And, uh and it, it didn't, yeah, it didn't quite find the audience. It should have, again, mired in the glut of films that came out at the end of the year and avatar, of course, walking away with every, thing there was to be had box office wise so worth checking out at the opera house This was, I thought, I thought, um,
0: when I looked at Tom Hanks on the poster, I said, boy, you know, Walter Matthau was alive. This was a perfect Walter Matthau vehicle. Uh,
4: Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) So,
0: you know, for the audience out there that's a little bit older and maybe knows of Walter Matthau's uh, work, uh, they'll, they'll understand why I say that if they go see the movie. And we have another offering of course, coming up, uh, as well, the following weekend, that's uh, February 18th and 21st, and it's called, um, the whale uh and uh, brendan Fraser, who plays the um title character i guess the way you could talk about it is um up for uh, an academy award for for best actor in this really kind of rather stunning and somewhat
4: controversial role that he took on all true the awards love is real for a guy who's never had any so it's quite <laughs> uh astonishing to watch uh we're again talking about everything everywhere all at once we're t- i think Ki-Hui Kwan, who is pretty much, I mean, he was a lock for an Oscar nomination. I think he's the front runner to win. He and Fraser both are having this awards run that's never been in their presence before. That's really fun to watch. And uh, now the film, not fun to watch, but pretty astonishing. And Fraser plays this 500 pound man. I don't think they mentioned his weight, but he's pretty, I got to be around there. Mm -hmm. And he's trying to connect with his daughter. His name is Charlie. And if I hadn't said it before, the best thing relationships can be in a movie is complicated. And this is that. There are equal parts sympathy uh, for and shame generated for Charlie in the film as various people visit him over the course of the week. There's a young missionary who sees uh, that Charlie's health is... uh, put him in his last days and he wants to save his soul and then complicating things with charlie's plan to reconnect with his daughter is that the daughter is outwardly the worst kind of kind of teen (laughs) she's punchy phone addicted bitter but justifiably bitter charlie abandoned her eight years ago why the answer is complicated. So <laughs> again, hopefully that that should be enough to get you to want to see this movie. So without spoilers, let me say there's a lot going on here enough to keep the viewers and myself involved throughout, engaged, excited, uh, you know, an emotional roller coaster. Um and Fraser's great. The other performers worth mentioning, Sadie Sink plays uh, his daughter. She's on Stranger Things and they ask actually ask a lot of her on that show. She plays Max who went through a lot last season. You know, her brother died and she gets like possessed and all this crazy stuff you would find in that show. But can she go beyond just the, you know, pop culture world of Stranger Things? Yes, she's very good in this. And you have uh, Hong Chow, who was just in the menu, which we talked about on our last show. Mm-hmm. Uh, she continues to show that she has range, also very good. And the makeup is incredible. If you've seen even stills of this w- makeup job they did to make Brendan Fraser a. 500 pound guy it's an ingenious combo of the makeup and fraser's performance that leave you with no doubt that charlie is who he is and the story is happening to him you know like that's really what we don't talk about enough with acting did you buy that this he's this guy and this is happening to him as the actor you have to and i think the combination of effects and the acting really pull this off uh, stunningly movie magic tom movie magic well
0: you know that's an interesting point you bring up because i think i read somewhere that the uh prosthetics for him were 300 pounds themselves and he also took like lessons from a from a dance instructor as to how someone who weighed 500 600 pounds would actually move um in something like that so my 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 question to you is the movie has stirred a bit of controversy because some people say they should have found a fat person to play the role as opposed to Mm. brendan fraser and so that that there's this controversy and it happens a lot these days where people are saying well you know the actor can't play that role because they're not that particular uh, uh, gender or type or whatever. And 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 uh, what's your thoughts about that?
4: Well, it reminds me of who's What's Eating Gilbert Grape, 1993 Johnny Depp film with Leonardo DiCaprio in an Oscar nominated role. And Darlene Cates, I think I got the name right, played uh, Gilbert Grape's 500 pound mother and she never left the house. And there was another complicated relationship there, uh, but she was great at that part. Uh, boy, I, I don't know what to tell you about that. I think, uh, you know, the best performer wins, <laughs> mm-hmm. right? I mean, it's just if you film is at stake and if Brendan Fraser's great, you go with him, And if you can pull it off where, you know, you, you're not looking hacky um, and this certainly does not look hacky. And, and the reviews have been mixed, even though everyone seems to like Fraser's performance. And that's got to be not just maybe what you're talking about, but the caustic dialogue and potential weight shaming that the movie has, but it's not like it was ever inauthentic. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd rather not have my high drama award season picture be safe and rote. This is not that. Um, I think, the I think, yeah, people might say this isn't helping the cause of people who are dealing with weight shaming in America, but I don't think movies or art need a cause. Mm-hmm. Now, tell me if you agree with this. Now, they need the truth. I, I, think, I do. I uh, do agree there's, with that. There's, there's never a cause in real life, in relationships and interactions. There's only the truth. And so the movie brings that. Darren Aronofsky is your director here, too. And so if you're wondering everything we're talking about, is this, boy, it sounds provocative. Well, this should seal the deal for you that, yes, it is. He made Black Swan. <laughs> he made Requiem for a Dream. He made The Wrestler. He made Noah, The Fountain. Like, everything he touches is some provocative piece and... Uh, but you're always rewarded for it, I think, as as the viewer. And I'll say one more thing: that's that's, you know, I've said a lot of great things. I should always say something in in the alternate vein as well. This is based on a play, mm-hmm. one you haven't heard of, right? The whale. You I have it? not heard the whale. No, and it, it received apparently an
0: off uh, 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 an off Broadway uh, performance after um, premiering at the Denver
4: Center in Colorado. I'd be curious to see if they hired what kind of actor they hired there. Uh, and what kind of makeup they may have used and i'm curious to see how the play ends given that the film went a cinematic direction in its finale that you couldn't pull off on stage I'd be curious to see um but that's it, does get a little claustrophobic. Maybe that's effective in the in here, but I did think like, oh, well, with the film, you could expand the story, you know, like you could and do a little more. So some of the conventions of characters popping up seems a little like, well, it's interesting that they should pop up right now. But if you're on stage, they got that's the only place they can pop, right? So right. they have to show up there. So that was a little interesting to see it adapted to the screen like that. But it did remind me of One Night in Miami, which was one of my favorite films from a few years ago which is also based on a play and uh whatever i said doesn't matter the acting wins and so that happens here and Great. how do you even compare this to colin farrell's performance in the banshees of Inna sharon which is a brilliant film and a masterful performance they're so different you know yes Fraser's well Fraser's bogged down with all this stuff he's got to act through and he's got these powerful and you know you know, emotion high emotion relationships and Farrell is so subdued and small and yet has to be big occasionally and they're just so navigated differently i mean like you shouldn't even give best actor unless everyone plays the same part then you can tell who's the best actor <laughs> but we we're in the situation we're in so uh certainly Farrell and and Fraser and perhaps Austin Butler played Elvis which is not a good movie <laughs> I, know what I, I know what I just said about Tom Hanks, but uh, <laughs> he's he's great. But there's your actor uh, trio going for the, uh, the role or going for the award right there. It's going to be one of those guys.
0: Well, I'm going to have to leave it there, Paul. Uh, I'd like to get into it a little bit more, but um, time is what it is. So thanks again, as always, for coming on the podcast. When we have more movies from the cinema series, of course, I'll always give you a, a, a call. And thanks for your time and effort. Much appreciated. Movies. Yes, movies. Stay warm out there in beautiful downtown Burbank. Take it easy. The Cinema Series is always presented on Saturdays and then again the following Tuesdays with screenings beginning at 7.30 p.m. both days. A Man Called Otto will be screened on February 11th and 14th while The Whale will be presented on February 18th and 21st. Tickets are $7 general admission, $6.50 for Opera House members, and five dollars for students tickets are sold at the door only on the night of the screening and that's it for this midwinter edition of notes from the aisle seat my thanks to dr jim ivy mr james welch ms lisa Lehman, and mr movie guy paul preston for being my guests on this episode Notes from the Aisle Seat is a production of the 1891 Fredonia Opera House in Fredonia, New York. For more information on any of the Opera House's events, call the box office at 716-679-1891, visit the website at www.fredopera.org, or email at operahouse at fredopera.org. Notes from the Aisle Seat is now available wherever you get your podcasts, and also on the Opera House YouTube channel. If you like this podcast, please consider following us by clicking the follow button on our home website at isleseat.podbean.com and spreading the word through your social media feeds. If you have an arts event you'd like featured on the podcast, why don't you drop us a line at opera house at fredopera.org and we'll see about featuring your event. Please try to give us a month's advance notice, if possible, to facilitate timely scheduling. If you have any suggestions, comments, or criticisms of the podcast, just drop us a line at operahouse at We'll be glad to receive your feedback. Our next episode will be available on Wednesday, February 22nd, 2023. I'm Tom Lachlan, and until then, be safe out there and be kind to one another.